His name is Saul. As he met Jesus Christ, his name changed eventually from Saul to Paul. We see that in Acts 13. And here's a man that wrote this. He writes this from jail. It's a letter that he writes to the church at Philippi. And one of the themes that you see through this letter is the theme of joy, which is interesting because he's in jail. He's been framed. He's been slandered. It's a false accusation. He's been tortured. His back has been whipped. And from jail, he's writing this letter to the believers at Philippi that had sent a card, a love offering that had remembered him. Look with me at verse 1, chapter 3, and you see that it's the scripture. It's not conjecture. He says here, finally, finally, as I wrote chapter 1, as I wrote chapter 2, now finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's a letter of joy. And so as he writes here, he, in the first six verses, he shares how he can have pride and confidence in the flesh. If you take the world's population, you could divide it in two groups. Get this carefully. Two groups of people that as they're going to stand before God, one group, their foundation is a righteousness that's on their own merits. They expect to approach God and say, God, I was good. God, I didn't do anything bad. Or God, my goods outweighed my bad. So there's a group of people that as they approach God, they're trusting in themselves. That's their confidence. But then there's another group of people that their confidence is Jesus Christ and the faith in Jesus that they have, that Jesus came and he died on Calvary's cross and he took the sins of the world. And it's wonderful when it becomes personal. He took your sins. He took my sins. Jesus at Calvary's cross. And he said, if you destroy this temple, if, if I die in three days, Jesus said, I will raise it back up. You see, family here this morning, hopefully I could call you that, there's none in the history of civilization like Jesus. Buddha is not like Jesus. Muhammad is not like Jesus. Dalai Lama is not like Jesus. Mother Teresa. Jesus stands heads and shoulders above all because Jesus said, no one takes my life. I lay it down. Now, you got to be careful and you got to get this. I'm not here just trying to manipulate or I'm trying to give you some information that the reason that Jesus is apart and like no other is that Jesus really loves you. It's been used so much that people don't have the weight and value that's supposed to have. After all, we live in a day that they say, I love my wife, I love my husband. I love a hamburger. I love french fries. I love my caca spaniel or my coca too. Or, so love has kind of like been a little watered down, you see. Love is a word that has thrust and weight and power. How much does Jesus love you? Someone said, man, this much as he stretches out his arms wide and nails went into his hands and nail went into his feet. And 39 lashes across his back and a crown of thorns were placed upon the brow of the one that the Bible teaches. He is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the savior of the world. Jesus 
What is it about this Jesus that he would say, I'm going to lay down my life for you? What is, what is that all about? Is that just some fanatic trip? Is that just some religious ideal? What's the formula? Jesus plus being good. Jesus plus. The Bible teaches that the formula is Jesus plus zero. You can't add anything to it. He accomplished all the work at Calvary's cross. Listen. Listen to this. That's why at Calvary's cross he said, it is finished. It was a term used to say payment in full. The debt of sin that we couldn't pay, Jesus paid the debt that he didn't owe. He paid it for you. Paid it for me. And I don't know about you, but there was a time in my life that I wasn't rolling with Jesus. I grew up in a godly home. My dad is a pastor. My sister, my mom, my dad, it, it, just great blessings. But I was going to do my own thing. After all, I'm from New York City. <laughs> don't hold that against me. But we are a different breed. But then one day, sitting in church like you're sitting, there was a message presented. And it spoke to my heart. And I realized that Jesus died on Calvary's cross for me. He died for you, but it became personal for me. I was sitting in a church after that all by myself. And I was, I was seeking God. You got to speak to me. You got to tell me what you want for my life. And I opened the Bible to Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, and it says, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. I, I wasn't ready for that. If you ask me, I thought I heard a voice. I can't say if it was baritone or soprano. Or maybe there was no, but, but I never had anything like that happen to me. It was, it was that clear. This is after months of searching, of seeking, of battling God. But I'm not an easy sales pitch. So I still had to read to Matthew 4. I had to read to Matthew 5. I had to read to Matthew 6. And the way I explain it is like, as a kid, I used to love to play with magnets. I used to take radios and break them apart and take the magnet behind the speaker. Again, don't hold that against me. And then I would take these two powerful magnets, and I realized if you put positive and negative, they would, they would attract, you know. If you put positive and positive, you bring them, and they would repel. And so, so I use that as an illustration. It's, it's like a magnet where it's positive and negative, and all of a sudden, how close you could get before there's a pull, and all of a sudden, it connects. And that's the way I describe what happened to me. All of a sudden, it connected. It connected. God, you are calling me, and you got me. I'm in. And there was nobody in the church. I was there by myself. One of the benefits of being a pastor's son, you know, I spoke to the pastor, and asked for the keys. I was struggling. I was searching. I got up from the chair, and I came to the front, and I knelt down by myself. God, okay, now, because I, I, I know that everybody's born with a mission. Every one of you here this morning, there's a mission for your life. And I knew there was a mission for my life. I just didn't know what it was. I rose up that day. Incidentally, March 72, and things changed in my life. I wish I could stand here before you and tell you I never did anything wrong. I never sinned. But no, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I need Jesus. I don't know if you're with me, but that's what happened to Saul, that he becomes Paul. 
He's not on the side where he's going to stand before God on his own merit. He's finally got to a point that he realizes, God, when you judge me, when you accept me, it's on the basis of Jesus Christ. So you look there at Philippians chapter 3, and then he makes this declaration, verse 7. He says, the things, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. The things that were gained to me, I now count them loss for Jesus Christ. This is what you call the great switcheroo, if you would. Have you ever heard of that word before? Did I make it up? Switcheroo for Spanish. ¿Cómo se dice eso? Switcheroo. <laughs> La estafa maru. No sé. <laughs> you know, growing up in New York, one of the things that happened to me, I was in a store and a guy came up to me and said, psh, psh. So I looked at him and he had this ring, white gold. Psh, psh. I was a novice. Looked at the ring. He asked for a price. We negotiated. I got a different price. When I got home, my dad taught me, bro, they got you. <laughs> it wasn't long before that it turned bronze, and it was, it was a cheap, it was a switcheroo. And there's a way that these con men get old people. They come, they get the right person, you know, and, and they say, listen, I got $5,000 or $10,000, and I, I, I can't put it in a bank, so I need somebody to hold it for me. Will you hold it for me? And usually people say, hold $10,000. Sure, I'll hold it, you know. And then they say, but to prove that you're good, you got to put some money with this. And then you give the amount. Well, I'll put $500. So they go with you to the bank. You pull $500 or you get cash. And then they take the money, the $10,000. They count it in front of you. They put your $500. They wrap it up and then they give it to you. They say, here, okay, so I'm going to come back for this. You know, you hold it for me. If I don't come back, you keep it. But then you never hear from them again. So after days, the person, you know, they open it up. And what they open up is nothing but paper. These guys are good. They have $10,000. They had your 500, they took your 500, they left you with paper, they did the switcheroo. You know, in life, when you know Jesus, it's not a switcheroo, but it's a switch. It's a swap. It's what you call misión intercambio, exchange mission. Paul, on his way to Damascus, he didn't believe in Jesus. He thought it was a con. He thought that Christians were phonies. And so he had a mission in life. He was going to get every Christian and make them denounce Jesus Christ or he was going to kill them. So he got the authority, he got the paperwork to go to Damascus after these Christians. And he didn't believe in Jesus. And on his way to Damascus, the Bible says he was breathing threats against the church. You know, I can't stand these Christians. Este Jesucristo es una mentira. This Jesus Christ is a lie. And on the way there, guess who he meets? Jesus Christ. Looking at him and saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it broke him. And he's responded. You could go to Acts 9 when you get home. That's homework. He said, who are you, Lord? Notice by the way he said that, he knew who it was. He didn't say, who are you, chupacabra? <laughs> he didn't say, who are you, Ardutitru? Or he, he knew who it was. Who are you, Lord? And you see it by the answer. Jesus says, I'm Jesus. I'm the one you're persecuting. Which in the street terms is a way of saying, I'm Jesus. What's up with you? 
What's your problem, buddy? And then you got the switch. You got the great intercambio. You got what happens to anyone that really knows Jesus. You see, my friend, you could know religion. You could be a person of faith. You could be a person of spirituality. You could be a, a, a quote-unquote good person. But the Bible says that Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father if it's not by me. That's what Jesus says. Some people say that's too narrow. Some we narrow. Let me ask you a question. You're drowning. and Somebody gives you a life jacket. Say, I got a life jacket for you. But it's orange. Are you going to say, that's too narrow? Do you have a purple one? Do you have a yellow one? My favorite color is violet. Can you throw me a violet lifesaver? You go to the dentist. And the dentist says, you got a cavity. And I'm going to fill it. Do you say, that's too narrow. Do you have another way of dealing with this? Can you put like a soap bubble in there? Or there's a way to do dentistry. There's a way to do saving. There's a way to be healed. And that's what Jesus Christ said. And Paul didn't believe it. But when he saw the love of Jesus that I hate you, I don't believe in you, and you're meeting me on this road. And Paul sensed the love and an acceptance that Paul says, you got me. What do you want me to do? Get to get it at me. I'm done. I'm done, Lord. You got me. And when you look at Philippians 3, verse 7, scholars believe, I also believe, that that's what Paul is talking about. The things that were a gain to me, I've counted them a loss for Christ. A great question that we could all ask ourselves is, do I know Jesus? You might look at yourself in the mirror tomorrow as you're brushing your teeth or washing yourself or combing your hair, and you could say, do I know Jesus? It's a good practice. Do I know Jesus? Hey, let's just practice that. Everybody here, can you say that out loud with me if you want to? If you don't want to, Calvary Chapel, we, we believe in freedom. But if you want to say that, repeat it with me. I'm going to say it, okay? Do I know Jesus? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. <laughs> One of the ways you know if you know Jesus in your life, it could be a point or it could be a transition that you went to a place that things you held dear, things that were very important for you, for the sake of knowing Jesus in a balance, you realize that the most important thing is Jesus. Let me illustrate this point this way. If I could be transparent with you, which I want to be, and honest, I got to tell you, I'm a car guy. I like cars. As long as it has a steering wheel, I like it. I've had any, uh, all types of cars. First car was a Volkswagen 1959. Um, I had to park it in a hill because it didn't start. So I would have to like put the clutch in, you know, pop the clutch. <laughs> you know, Jamaica High School, you know, it didn't last too long. It got impounded. I never collected on it. I had to pay more for impounding to get the car. But what's the point I'm making? I'm a car guy. 
So if at the end of the service, as we're all walking, there would be a brand new yellow Ferrari parked outside. And someone holding the keys. I would think it's maybe for you or for you. But they're waiting. And I come out and they say, this is for you. I would say, first thing I would say, who's making the payments? <laughs> and they say, no, 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 it's a gift. It's for you. I would tell you, I, I, would, I would be challenged because I'm a car guy. I told you the things that were gained to me. But what I'm supposed to do is say, Lord, is this car going to affect my relationship with you? Lord, is this car, as I drive this car in Miami, what are people going to think in the sense like, where did Raz get the money to buy this car on a pastor's salary? Because I'm not a television evangelist. I can't believe I said that. <laughs> we don't ask for money here in Calvary, Miami, right? And I'm not one of those, you know, here's not money, money. You go to church today, it's money, 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 money. Jesus loves you, money, money, money. And people keep coming. Oh, the Lord said, I got to get a plane. And you're going to give the money, 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 money. The Lord told you to get a plane? Let the Lord pay for it. Why are you asking people for money? Millions of dollars, millions of dollars of mansion. And they still keep asking people for money. And people keep going. That's a different teaching. But here's the point. Lord, in this car, can I relate to people that don't have a car? It, you know, and that's my standard. Maybe the Lord's called you to have a Ferrari. I hope so, so I could ride with you. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he hasn't called me. He hasn't called me. Counted all things at loss for the sake of Christ. Can you say that? Have you arrived there? It's funny that life is almost like not life. You're talking about a man who had in the top 10 percentile brain capacity, the Apostle Paul. He knew the Greek. He knew the Hebrew. He was a Pharisee from the tribe. Of, this guy was going to be the next like high priest, the next key individual, religiously and politically. That's the Apostle Paul. But when he met Jesus Christ, when he got it, when he finally really got it, what, you hung on a cross for me? You, you died so that I can live? When he got it, he says, things are valuable. Things are good. Don't, don't misunderstand me. Ferrari is good, not red. They're too common. And black is too dark. Uh, yeah, it's, it's nice. It's nice. However, the standard here, the evaluation foundation is Jesus Christ. So in verse 7, he's talking about his conversion. Go with me to verse 8. Notice how that starts. Yet, indeed, that implies a time transition. In other words, he's talking about 25 years ago when I met Christ. Man, I, 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 everything was a loss compared to what I got. Yet, indeed, he's talking about 25 years later now. He's talking about now, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. Do you see that there? And he knows who Jesus is. Christ, Jesus, who is my Lord. And then he says, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them rubbish. Look at this. That I may gain Christ. I want to be found in him. And this, you see what I told you. I wasn't making it up. It's not conjecture. It's just reading the book, understanding it, thinking it through, evaluating. Look what he says here. Not having a righteousness which is from the law, 
but that which is through faith in Christ, this righteousness, that means a right standing, that means a cleanliness, a peace, a a holiness that is from God, and it's by faith. I hope you got that. Because of time, I have to continue pushing on. But let me, let me show you something here that you could see. Notice in verse 7, he says, Man, to gain Christ, I counted everything as a loss. Notice with me in verse 8, he says, The excellence of the knowledge of Christ. Do you see that there? Notice with me in verse 8, at the end, he goes, I want to gain Christ. I want to be found in Christ, verse 9. So I stop. I look to your eyes to get this. He's talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's talking about a faith in Jesus Christ. He's talking about a righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. And as he's talking about that, it's like something happens inside of him that in verse 10, it's like an explosion. It's like a doxology. He's saying, man, I want to know him. Let me give you an illustration. If you're a grandpa and you got grandkids and you start looking at the, at the pictures, you know, man, this is when they were born. Man, look at There's something in you sometimes that swells up. If you're here and you're married and it's a blessed marriage, you know, you think about this is when we went out. This is our first day. And sometimes something happens in you that it just, you know. And what I want to show you here, I hope nobody here is sitting next to this. Right so nobody pass on me. When you come out at the end of the teaching, you need prayer, okay? You need some oil. Something's happening here. But I've been married 45 years. And my wife is amazing. Amazing. Hopefully some of you, and I know some of you here, you're that way. You just don't work for a living. You got a calling. It's wonderful when you see people that have a calling in what they do. They do it to excellence. You know, that mechanic that he just doesn't change parts. They, they say that there's mechanics that don't cambia pieza. You know, they, oh, it's the battery. The same thing happens. Oh, it's the alternate. They just keep changing parts, and eventually they're going to hit it, or they're going to run you broke, or you're going to go to a different mechanic. Something's going to happen, you know. But then there's those mechanics. Hmm, let me see. Start that. Hmm, start. What you have is a voltage regular, and, and they go to it. They fix it. You drive away. You never have that problem. But that's a mechanic. Sell them today. I remember starting ministry. I would go to the hospital, especially from the Philippines. There were a lot of Philippine nurses, you know, and they would have a calling of what they do. They would be with the patient. They would come and change the bed, the bedpan of the patient. You know, when you have a calling here at LHM, the teachers, the professors, man, they love those students. You could see they've had all kind of students, and I just look, I observe, and you see growth, you see maturities, you see process. Not because she's here, my, my dental hygienist, you know, she likes what she does. Usually I have people captive, and they listen to me. When she asks me, oh, she's got, you know, she's talking, and I, I got to listen. When you love what you do, right next to her is my, my, my co-consuela, I call her. She's a teacher. You could tell she loves what she does. She loves the students going down the road. You go to, to, to George Manresa, law enforcement. He, he, he was a law enforcement par excellence. Go a little bit behind him. Jose Casas, he, he's an entrepreneur, a businessman. They love what they do. Over here, professor, it's beautiful when you see people that they love what they do. How did I get into that? You forgot? I almost forgot. (laughs) We're talking about Paul. He starts talking about his relationship with Jesus. He says, man, I want to know him. I want the excellence of the knowledge of him. And he already knows him, but now he breaks out. 
man, I want to know him more. Because when you know Jesus, you realize that the more you know Jesus, the more there is to know about Jesus. You never get to the bottom. Never get to the bottom of his love. You never get to the bottom of his wisdom. You never get to the bottom of his holiness. You never get to the bottom of his power. Pray for me, please. If you're not praying for me, pray for me. I, I want to finish so bad this morning. But go back here to verse 10 now, our key verse. So now when he makes this declaration, hopefully at least you understand whether you agree or disagree. That's your choice. But at least you understand that when he says that I may know him. What is he talking about? This intercambio, this interchange, that some things are a loss to me because what life is really about is getting to know Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand me. Getting to know Jesus is not an excuse for being sloppy, lazy, negligent, or irresponsible. You know, throughout my life, I've seen ladies that they take on for God. And the husband has no food. They leave a microwave in the food in the microwave. They don't take care of the husband. Oh, it's about Jesus. No, you're being lazy and your husband is probably going to reject Jesus because he's going to be jealous of Jesus because you care more about your religion than you really do about Jesus. Because when you care about Jesus, you care about your husband. And you got to go to church, but man, you leave him a spread that as he's eating, he says, man, this woman is anointed. <laughs> this woman's got something. This, this food is divine. Or the husband that does the same thing for the lady. See, there's a lot of irresponsibility and fanaticism and religiosity. But what I want you to see here is that Paul here says, plain, straight, clear, and clean. The reason I took things as a loss is because if I gain knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, that's incomparable to anything. Come a little bit closer here to the scripture, and you're going to see what he's talking about. Verse 10. Man, I want to know him. Because when you know Jesus, you know the power of his resurrection. And when you know the power of his resurrection and you know Jesus, you know the fellowship of his sufferings. And as you go through suffering in life and tragedy in life, if you go through it in the right, proper way, which is getting to know Jesus and bringing Jesus to your pain then it says you're going to be conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain it. And what is that? The resurrection from the dead. Let's break these three things down here very quickly. And first of all, I want to look with you at that I may know him. Okay? So that word know, K-N-O-W, that four-letter word there, know, in the original language is a word that's pronounced gnosko. Gnosko. What does gnosko mean? What does know mean? It's a knowledge that comes through learning. It's a, it, the implication is learning to know. I stop here. Let me illustrate this very easy, very quickly. You guys know what it's like. I know what it's like. My wife, Isel, I met her. We grew up in the same church together in the youth group. And finally, when our relationship was getting serious, we were uh, you know, courting and we were going to go on to marriage. I would drive to New York City. What, 13, 1,100 miles and then when I got there to date her, to go out on a date with her, I had to take her sister, her brother, her little sister. They had a puppy, the cockatoo, the bird. I had to do all of that, you know. <laughs> and let's go on a date here, you know. But what I'm trying to get at is, gnosko is like when you date with someone, you get to know them better. And you see their humor. And you see their convictions. And you see what they value. And you see what they're about. And you see their flaws. 
and you see their weaknesses, and you say, man, but I love this person. This is, this is the person for me. And then when you get a little bit deeper, you realize, I'm the one for that person. But stick with me on this thought. That word gnosko, to learn to know, is a word that also means in Jewish idiom, it was the word that was used when a man, the husband, and a woman, the wife, you know, you got to be very clear on the days that we live in today, they would have sexual intimacy that was gnosko. Why am I sharing this with you? So that you could see here that the apostle Paul and believers, they want that intimacy with Jesus. Jesus, how are you speaking to me? How are you guiding me? And so he says, I want to know him because as you get to know Jesus, there's a power of his resurrection. Let's go to that word power. If you're taking note, that word power in the original language is the word dunamis. You could probably guess what word we get from the word dunamis. Anybody? Dynamite is a word that means strength, might. Is a word that that strength and that might, they bring about a work. And they bring about a work in abundance. Family, let me... Let me stop here a second and let's think this through. Something happened in Jesus that he hung on the cross and he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last breath and they buried him. But on the third day, someone said the stone couldn't hold them. That they rolled the stone not for Jesus to come out. They rolled away the stone for people to come in and see that Jesus was not in the tomb. He came back to life. Forget this clearly. He just didn't resuscitate. Sometimes people die, you know, and they pump. He just didn't. Re he resurrected a new glorified body, a body that can walk through walls, a body that can ascend, and he didn't need a spacesuit. And why do I make this clear? Because I'm going to get a resurrected body. And if you know Jesus, you're going to get a resurrected body too. I'm surprised you're not saying amen and getting Pentecostal and that. But that's okay. Hey, my resurrected body, I'm going to have hair again, man. It's going to be a perfect body, bro. Might be a little bit bigger, you know, be more buff, you know. Resurrected body. <laughs> I could eat all the ice cream I want. Resurrect the body. No problem with calories, man. Heaven. Resurrect the body. Glorious body. The power of the resurrection. You see, you take the caterpillar and it crawls into the cocoon and then it tries to come out. And it comes out like a butterfly and we think that that's glorious. And it's a, an example, but a resurrected body? No more pain in the knees. No more back problems. No more special needs. No more cancer. Praise the Lord. A resurrected body. And you know why you need a resurrected body? Because with our limited bodies, if we would see God, we would disintegrate. His glory, his beauty, his purity, his holiness. With these bodies, they're flawed. We, we would fall apart. But with a new glorified body, now we could see God. We could worship God. We could see each other. Glorified body. The power of the resurrection. This is not Mickey Mouse. This is not a Walmart special. No, not criticizing Walmart, by the way. Don't sue me. Not that. This is just something that's above and beyond. And that's what Paul says. I want to know him. Because in knowing Jesus, there's a resurrection power. I'm getting ahead of myself. Getting ahead of myself. But ask a person that likes to gossip how hard it is for them to stop gossiping. You know the story about the three religious leaders that had a problem with gossip? Actually, one had a problem with alcohol and the other one had a problem with money. So the three were together, the rabbi, the priest, and the pastor. 
So one of them said, I got to confess to you something. I got a problem with drinking. And after communion, I take several sips and I'm just out of it. And the other guy said, well, I got a problem with money. I dip into the funds and I take some of the money. So then they got to the third guy. They said, what is your problem? says, I got a problem with gossip, and I can't wait to get out of here. <laughs> I just can't wait to get out of here, man. <laughs> you know, sometimes people have a problem with gossip. They just hear things, and they just want to repeat them. They, they got no friend, no freno, they say, no break. They got no discernment, you know. And then in church, sometimes they go to a prayer meeting, and they cover it up. Hey, let's pray for the pastor, because I saw him speeding the other day. He was going 85 miles per hour on I-95. But which, this is just prayer. No, you're gossiping your heart out. You could just say, let's pray for a speeder. Why did you have to say it was the pastor? And we do that. We gossip. But this power of the resurrection can take a person as a gossiper, and he makes his mouth golden. He can work now for the CIA because he doesn't divulge any information. That's the power of the resurrection. You could take a worry ward and all of a sudden they're calm. Their diet changes. No more anti-acids. They're not. You could take a person that doesn't sleep. This power of the resurrection, you take a person that's prejudiced. And they don't like black people or they don't like white people or they don't like themselves is really what the problem is. And all of a sudden they love everyone. Power of the resurrection. And Paul says, I want to know Jesus. Because when you get to know Jesus, you get to know this power, this dunamis, this dynamite-like force. But you know what that power brings us to? Buenos dias, bienvenidos, buenas tardes, to the fellowship of his sufferings. Let's look at the word suffering, and the word suffering means misfortunes, calamity, tragedy. <laughs> Life is rough. In my case, as one of the chaplains for the city of Miami, different agencies, I've seen so much tragedy. And it's funny that it never gets easier. It's not like I'm a professional and I just roll in here, you know, Lone Ranger, you know, Kimo Sabe. You know, when people hurt, you hurt. When people cry, you cry. Not on the outside. Again, I told you I'm from New York City and I grew up and man, men don't cry, that kind of mentality. Now I weep over anything. I can't watch Hallmark with my wife. <laughs> it's crazy. But I try not to cry in public, you know, if I could hold it. And But man... Sufferings. We should lighten it up a little bit and tell you, everyone here this morning, you're going to be facing tragedy. Let me just give you an example of that. How many people here are under 20 years old? Would you please lift up your hand? Under 20 years old? Lift them up high so we can see them. Great. Glad you're here in the back. In the front. All right. Under 20 years old. Man, that's beautiful. How many people here under 20 years old? On the 20. We just raised it up 10 years old. Or right on the 20. Wow. Or in the, yeah, in the 20s. Okay. How many people here on the 30s or in the 30s? How many people here 30s? Ah, a little bit. You know, that young adult, great, great age, man. You, get, you got the strength, a little bit of wisdom. How many people in the 40s? In the 40s here? 40? Yeah. How many people here in the 50s? In the 50s? Yeah. How many people here in the 60s? Yeah. 
How many people here in the 70s? Yeah, we buy out. 70s. Life is tragic, man. You know, believe it or not, once I told you I had hair, it was black, it was curly, I had a fro. Where did it go? <laughs> you know, you get older, man, and you start stinking. And, and they were at a point, you know, 40, 50, you know. But they came a point there that I was smelling. Man, they, I, don't, I never smelled these smells before. I had to change my mouthwash. You know, now I got a peroxide. It's got like a heavy duty. It's like a nitro, like dunamis mouthwash, you know, because I'm getting older. Life is a tragedy. It's a tragedy. Cassius Clay. He could throw jabs in fractions of second, and at the end of his life, he's got Parkinson. What, what do you mean, Parkinson? This ain't supposed to happen to, to the greatest. Life is a tragedy. If you just live long enough, what do you mean I got diapers again? What, what, what are you talking about? I did that when I was born. What are you talking about? What are you talking about, cancer? What, what, what is it? Not me. I, cancer's not supposed to happen to me or my wife. What are, you, what are you talking about? What? That's supposed to happen in the movies. That's not supposed to happen to me. Am I living a movie? Am I in a dream? Is this a nightmare? Tragedies. The apostle Paul said there's something about knowing him and the power of his resurrection that in the sufferings of life, he used that word fellowship. Do you know what that word means, fellowship? That word fellowship means <laughs> joint association community is a word that means a gift of contributed friendship is a word that means i gotta look to your eyes as i say this is a word that means proof proof of fellowship and friendship i don't know if you got this the young people here you you need to get this life you know you're young and you're so innocent so innocent and here the Apostle Paul says, I want to know him because there's a power to the resurrection. And then when the fellowship of sufferings come, when I'm united in that, in that suffering, put a marker here. Go with me to Isaiah, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 gives you a little description of Jesus. Isaiah is foretelling what Jesus was going to come and what Jesus was going to do. And like anything else, he knew that not everybody believes in Jesus, at least at first. I'll begin to read. I love to hear the pages turning. Keep going to Isaiah, the scriptures, the Bible. He says, who has believed that report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And then talking about Jesus, he's going to grow up before him like a tender plant, like a root from dry, gland, dry ground. And then it talks about Jesus at the cross. He had no comeliness when we see him. There's no beauty that we should desire him. You know, sometimes people mistake. They don't get it. No entienden. Los pobres, no entienden. They don't get it. You know, you see these pictures of Jesus. You know, he's got this little glow. Ooh, I'm Jesus. I don't mean to be disrespectful, but think about it. If Jesus had that, why would Judas have to say, I'm going to point him out in the garden? He would just say, whoever's glowing, that's the guy. He had no, they, Jesus wasn't, you know, some people, they're by nature, they're tall, they're, they're, they're impressive. The, the appearance here is that Jesus, that's not what it was about. And think about it, if Jesus would have been very handsome, 
lo feito como yo would have had a problem. <laughs> he doesn't understand me. You know, Jesus maybe came in a body that he could relate to anybody and to everybody. Here, Isaiah, look at this. Look at this. There is no beauty that we should desire him. If you desire Jesus, you desired him for what you should desire people. They're real. They're genuine. They're truthful. You could count on them. Look at verse 3. He was despised. He was rejected by men. Have you ever been despised? Have you ever been rejected? Have you ever been a part of, of, of a place that there's a group, el grupito, you know, the group. Y te hacen a ti feito. You know, have you, ever been, have you ever been the receptor of that? It's not fun. It's painful sometimes. Jesus knows the pain. Jesus knows rejection. Come a little bit closer. Look what it says here. He was a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. You know how you spell grief? G-R-I-E-F? You spell that also P-A-I-N. What does P-A-I-N spell? Pain. Jesus Christ was acquainted with pain. I wish I could read the rest of it. You got to go home and read it. Go back with me to Philippians chapter 3. Let me see if I can make the point and then we move on. Paul says, I want to know him because I want to know the power of his resurrection. And then I want to have fellowship of his sufferings. In other words, I'm going to have that contributed friendship and join that as Jesus suffered and had pain, I'm going to go through the same things in life. Can I illustrate this point this way? Pray for me. If my wife is watching, I love you, but I got to say this. You know, about five years ago, we went to the doctor. It was a doctor from Austria. Good guy, good doctor. And he saw something. He says, you know what? I'm going to send this to pathology. He looked at both of us because in our marriage, you know, I told you, I married my high school sweetheart. We went to church together. I met her when she was eight years old. <laughs> you know? I didn't do anything then. Don't, don't, don't <laughs> wait it, you know. The doctor says, I'm going to send this to pathology, but you don't have to worry. This cancer is not even found this way. I just want to confirm. And when they call you and they say, you know what, you got to come in. We got to take a second, second check, you know, and sure enough, it comes by cancer. And then they do the surgery, you know, the doctor, you know, we had just changed insurance, but God leads, and where God guides, God provides, and we, we went to another doctor, very well-known, you know, Sylvester, uh, you know, hospital and center, and great doctor, you know, and, and so he, he removed everything that needed to be removed. He says, you don't need no chemo, you don't need no radiation, you're good. We, we took everything out. One year, two year, three year, four year, and I'm thinking, yeah. I would say my wife is a cancer survivor. She would, she, my wife is very level-headed. She would say, Ras, don't say that yet. It's supposed to be seven years, really, the mark. So don't say that yet, you know. Ah, oh, you're a cancer survivor, you know. So then now we go back, and we think it's something, like diverticulitis, but we go, and, uh, and they say, no, it's, you got a tumor on your sigmoid area, and you got another tumor here, and really there's tumors all over. It's metastasized. I didn't sign up for that. If I could be transparent with you, I always thought, I'm, I'm a very blessed man. I think I'm one of God's favorite people. You know, can I tell you a little bit about my mother-in-law? My mother-in-law, Clara, Clarita, overweight, chinita, you know, 
But there was something about Clara where she had this blessing of the Lord. She rented at the Marriott across from the Blue Monster, I think they call it, you know, the Trump Towers or Trump Place, you know. The manager comes in. The, this is the manager. And right away, Clarita, you know, my mom says, De donde usted? Where are you from? It's Peru. Oh, you're from Peru? Man, I, I, do you know how to make ceviche? She starts talking to the guy. You know how to make ceviche? I go, yeah, I know how to, I know how to make the best ceviche. So my mother-in-law, who was good in the kitchen, she says, no, I want you to give me the recipe, and I'm going to make you ceviche, and you're going to see that my ceviche is going to be better than your ceviche. <laughs> from Cuba, you know how to say So, but the point is this. You know the guy, the manager, makes my mother-in-law ceviche and brings a big pot. For those of you that don't know, I mean, I don't, I don't eat that. You know, I, my, that's a different teaching. But, but you know, you got, a lot, you got a lot of seafood and expensive stuff in it. He brings a pot of ceviche for my mother-in-law and a balloon for the kid and a birthday pot. But I share that with you because that's my mother-in-law's anointing. She just had a, a, a blessing of the Lord. And, and I've seen it transferred to my sons and my daughter. And it's just that way. God does that sometimes, you know. And, and I have that. I've been blessed. I, I'm, I've been blessed beyond measure. So I always thought in myself, you know, something tough is going to happen to me. But I always thought it was going to be me. You know, I'm going to wind up someplace, you know, to, oh, you know, whatever, you know. And, and I thought, so I've been preparing my wife, you know. We moved from the bigger side of the house to the smaller side of the house, you know, preparing, you know. So when something happens to me, she's ready. I can go in peace. But I never thought it was going to be the opposite way around, that something was going to happen to her. So we do chemo three weeks ago, and man, all of a sudden, she does good the first day, the second day, the third day, she's in pain. And see, my wife has had three kids, and she has not even taken an aspirin. She's got a pain threshold that's unbelievable. After all, she's put up with me 45 years. That's, that's, a, lot, that's a lot of pain, man, you know? And, you know, but she's got a pain threshold. And so Thursday, we had the second round of chemo. Everything's doing good. And then, man, last night, the abdominal pain. Waking up at 1 o'clock, waking up at 3 o'clock, waking up at 5 o'clock. She's in pain. The fellowship of his sufferings. But you go through that pain and I try to massage her legs and I try to, what can I do? You know, it's tough when you love someone and you can't do anything. It's, it's beyond your pay grade. And what I want you to know here this morning that when you know Jesus, whatever tragedy you go to, you hurt, you cry, it shakes you, it breaks you, but you go through it in a way that it's meaningful and it makes a contribution. It makes a contribution. You help other people that are going to go through their tragedy and their pain. And at least you got that. You know, we're supposed to get on a plane Tuesday. A long time ago, we found out about a pastor in Spain, Barcelona, who's got, he's got um, Parkinson's, and he got it so bad that he can't, he can't even teach right now. Then there's another pastor in Lorca, Spain, whose nine-year-old girl, Elizabeth, has a tumor in her brain. And so when he so found out about that, she says, man, we got to go. We got to go visit them. And I said, okay, let's prepare. So we're supposed to get on a plane Tuesday to go to Spain. But we didn't know that this whole cancer thing was going to come up. And so as he still gets this cancer thing, now, you know, she's lost her hair, you know, and the hair falls off. And she's such a strong woman. I told her, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your hair. She goes, no, 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 no. I'll do it myself. Okay, you, know, you don't argue with uh, the kitchen. 
and I watch her and I see her. Jesus, Jesus, help me to be. But she's strong. She's solid. Do you know Jesus? You'll be tested. I'll be tested. Because the reason you're tested is so that you can get a passing grade. And if you don't get that passing grade, then you study a little bit more and you, you say, Jesus, I need to know you now. But don't wait for the tragedy. Don't, don't wait for that moment. But if the tragedy comes, Jesus is here. Knocking at the door saying, can I come in? Can I be your Savior? Can I be your Lord? I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about relationship. I love you. Can I be your Jesus? Go back and we close it up here. I ran out of time. Paul says here, I want to be conformed to his death. There's something about knowing Jesus. Worship team, please stop making your way forward. There's something about the power of his resurrection. There's something about the fellowship of his sufferings that now you're going to be conformed to Jesus in his death. That word conformed, do you know what that word means? It's a word that means to receive the same, to assimilate. It's a word that means to, well... Let me stop here and ask you a question, interactive here. Do you know how Jesus died? How did Jesus die? Anybody on the first row? Out loud. How did Jesus die? Louder, loud. On the cross. Jesus died on the cross. Second row. How did Jesus die? What do you have to say about Jesus' death? Come on, help me out here. Interactive. How did Jesus die? One person at a time. Say it loud like you mean it. On the cross, we said that. How else did Jesus die? Gave up his soul painfully, right? How else did Jesus die? Suffocating. How else did Jesus die? Abandoned, rejected. But listen, you come a little bit closer and you find out, you know how Jesus died? Jesus died surrendered. He didn't fight it. Jesus died obedient, obedient to the last moment. You know how else Jesus died? I love this, triumphantly, triumphantly, victoriously. He's on a cross. He's hanging on the cross, but he's in total control. He's in total charge. They came to give him that mixture of vinegar and wine for an anesthetic, you know, and he said, no, I'm going to take the full brunt of this pain. Jesus paid the price completely. He accomplished his mission. Mission accomplished. And Paul here says there's something about knowing Jesus and the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering that you go through your life. And when you come to the end of your life, you could die like Jesus. Obedient. Surrender to God. Triumphantly. I ran out of time. I just got to tell you this story. I don't know when I'll get invited to do this again, you know. And you got to come back next Sunday. You got to hear Pastor Zach. If you're visiting with us, you got to hear him teach. Anointed by God. God is using our pastor. My dad, the toughest man I've ever known. He code blue at Baptist Hospital. Actually died. They came in, started working on him. They bring him back to life. 
they come to pick up my dad. And, and the, the guy that came, the transport that came to pick him up, he says, who called blue? He said, you. And my dad says, it's me. He says, you don't look like you called blue. And my dad says, I did call blue. It's me. They take him to ICU. They came in, ran some tests. Said, man, your intestine is, 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 is twisted and it's choking. And you have this problem. You have that problem. And so after the doctor leaves, my dad asked me, he says, Raz, what did the doctor say? Tell me. He said, Dad, we, we're going to wait 24 hours, see if your body reacts. They want to do surgery. They want to do so much, Dad. And, but we have all agreed. You know, I come from the stock that when it's time to go, man, you're ready to go. And my dad was ready to go. And so my dad asked me, so what does that mean? What, what are you saying? I said, Dad, Dad, if your body doesn't respond, you're going to go see Jesus. You're going to beat me to heaven. I wish you could have been there because you know what my dad did? He kind of like incorporated himself on the bed, you know, six foot two, that tall big guy that he was. I kind of just sat there and says, okay, then let's do this. Let's do this. By the early hours in the morning, he slipped from earth into heaven. Victoriously. Triumphantly. And let me make something clear because in the days that we live in, everybody says, I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of death. Because he hasn't gone here yet. I see people that are involved in demons and they're being led by demons. And you don't know when those demons come and get you. What are you going to say to those demons to leave you alone? My friends, life is real. God is real. Jesus is real. Death is real. But when you have Jesus, you can die like Jesus. Jesus knew exactly where he was going. You can know exactly where you're going. Not by wishful thinking. Not by you convincing yourself, but God himself showing you. You're in my hands. You're in my way. Not blocking me, but the way I have for you. To know Jesus. Hey, there's some of you here this morning, you don't know Jesus. You know it. If you were to ask yourself, you know, you don't know Jesus. You know religion, you know... But if you want to know Jesus, there's going to be some pastors up front here. I'm going to ask the pastors, please come forward right now. And you could get up out of your seat and you can come and you could pray with the pastors. I want to know Jesus. They're going to lead you in a prayer. And you could leave this place knowing that you've given your heart and your life to Jesus. So as we sing this song, do some self-research and examination. Let me pray for you. Father, we pray together this morning that if there's anyone here that this is the day for them to come to know Jesus and the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of the sufferings and to be like you in the resurrection, Lord, the death. Father, move in the hearts, no manipulation, no emotional, but just a true calling. If anyone here today wants Jesus, Lord, draw them to your heart here, now, we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. And in your heart, if you're sensing that you need to come up and pray, just do it. Heaven is watching. Jesus is watching. And this could be the best move that you make. It's just come forward, pray with the pastors and say, I want Jesus. The rest of us, let's be in prayer and let's worship the Lord.
You know, it's, uh, it's truly a privilege uh, to be in a room where people here, they know Jesus. They're praying right now. Uh, I know you guys are praying for me, and I know you're praying for Isel, and I want to thank you, and she sends her gratitude, and uh, we couldn't be here if it wasn't for God and the answer to your prayers. You know, my, my kids, they, they love Isel. Uh, Amanda's doing this juicing thing here that it's helped Isel so much, but it's the prayers. But right now, I just want to invite you, if, if you're in a point in your life that you want God, you, you need more of God, If, you, if you're with somebody that you know, right there where you are, you guys can pray together. God is in this room, and, and it's not subject. You don't just have to come up here for God to touch you. Right there where you are, you could say, God, 